Why is it that sometimes you're so excited about knowing God? And then there's other times that you just have no passion for God at all. You say, man, really, I, you know about that? Because I thought I was the only one that ever felt that way. Oh, no, we, we, all, we all live there. There's some times where you just can't get enough of the Bible. And then maybe the very next day, you just can hardly bring yourself to pick it up. What is it that one day is filled with, with joy and, and gratitude and you, you come to the end of the day and you say, man, I just, I had such a great experience with God today. And then the next day, there's a distance there. It seems like you can't find God within a hundred miles. What's the difference between the highs and the lows? Well, very simply, the difference between the times when you hunger for God and the times where you're very distant from God, the the difference is in the condition of your heart. That's it. It's in the condition of your heart. Your heart is the home of your emotions. It's the place where you feel. It's the place where you hunger. It's the place of desire. And your spiritual hungers rise and fall based on the condition of your heart. And here's the thing that every one of us has got to understand. The condition of your heart is 100% your own responsibility. The Bible told us about a man named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah. Jehoshaphat had a bad idea. He was a godly king, but he decided that he needed to reach out to King Ahab, the king of Israel. Now, Ahab was a wicked, idolatrous king, and everybody knew that. But Jehoshaphat felt like, you know what, i got to reach out to him and, and make peace with him. And so he traveled to Israel And while he's there, he shouldn't have been there, but while he was there, Ahab persuaded him to go to war with him against Syria. And Jehoshaphat, just wanting to make peace, said, okay, we'll do that. Ahab deceived Jehoshaphat. He said, hey, he said, since you're a king and since we're going to war together, why don't you dress up in your whole kingly royal robes and ride in the royal chariot. You want to do that? Jehoshaphat said, well, sure. But Ahab, he dressed like an ordinary soldier. And here was Ahab's plan. If I'm dressed like an ordinary soldier, the first thing that the enemy wanted to do was take the king out. So they'll take Jehoshaphat out, and I'll, I'll have the same chances that an ordinary soldier would have to fight and to live and die and But Ahab's plan didn't work because Ahab didn't factor in. God was with Jehoshaphat. Don't ever take sides against somebody that has God on their side. God was with Jehoshaphat. And so Ahab was killed and Jehoshaphat lived and Israel lost the war. And Jehoshaphat's plan to make peace with Ahab didn't turn out that well. So Jehoshaphat and his men returned to Jerusalem When Jehoshaphat gets home, the preacher's there waiting for him. His name is Jehu. 
And Jehu has a message. Basically, Jehu's message is this. King, you did wrong. You did wrong in going to make an alliance with Ahab. He's a wicked king, a godless king. You know he is. You did wrong. He says, nevertheless, God says there's some good in you. Now, where was the good in Jehoshaphat? And here's what he said. Because you have prepared your heart to seek God. Now, that's not a one-time thing. He's saying you have lived your life preparing your heart to seek God. So that's what has sustained you. It doesn't mean that because Jehoshaphat had prepared his heart to seek the Lord that the wrong he had done was okay. It means that because he had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, the Lord was going to help him to get through the wrong that he had done. Now I go back to the statement I said a few minutes ago. We're each responsible for the condition of our own hearts. And what will sustain you, even when you do wrong, is if you will live your life preparing your heart to seek the Lord. And so that's the message this morning. It's what I want you to take home with you today. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. If you took the camp meeting flyer, if you've been praying, you've seen that right across the top. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Immediately when I hear that phrase, prepare your heart to seek the Lord, I'm reminded first of one thing, that I've got to be sure that it's the Lord that I want. It's not religion that I want. It's not to be a part of a spiritual club that I want. Or, as they say, a faith community. That's not what I'm after. I'm not after any kind of church politics. I've got to make up my mind that it's God that I want. Understand that what you have, folks, is not just a spiritual crutch. And whatever crutch for you, you know, we have more than just a higher power. We're after God. We want God. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. So first you've got to acknowledge that it's God you're after. Once you do, you've got to set out to seek God every day of your life, to pursue God every day. I love that word, pursue. Every Sunday when you come to church, if you want one in your bulletin, there is a Bible reading schedule, and the name of it is My Daily Pursuit of God. The elementary kids downstairs in junior church, as they leave junior church, they're handed a paper, and it says the very same thing. It's a different reading schedule. Theirs is three verses a day. Maybe if the 10 or 12 verses is too much, you get one of the kids' ones and just read three verses a day. But theirs is called the same thing. My daily pursuit of God. I believe the title of that thing is just as dynamic as the scripture reading itself because it reminds you that you need to be in pursuit of God every single day of your life. Pursuit of God. Listen, I am a Baptist. Why am I a Baptist? Because I believe Baptist doctrine. If you don't know what, what is distinctive about Baptist doctrine, you go to our website and read it. 
And it will, it will describe and explain some things. You understand people uh, fight, for example, about uh, separation of church and state. Do you, do you realize that for all those centuries when nations around the world were run by an official state church, it was people, whether they call themselves Baptists or not, the name is not important. What matters is that there was a group of people that were persecuted and executed for believing that the church should not run the state and the state should not run the church. That is a Baptist distinctive that goes all the way back to the Bible. That's just one. I'm a Baptist because I believe Baptist doctrine. I believe Baptist doctrine is Bible doctrine. I don't believe there is any religion or denomination out there that comes as close to pure Bible doctrine as the Baptist doctrinal statement. But hear me well. The right doctrine alone is not enough. You and I must be in daily pursuit of God. There's a whole lot of Christians out there that think that just because they have the right doctrine, they're all set. If you want God's blessing, if you want God's best, if you want God's presence, you need the right doctrine. I'm not minimizing that. But you also need to live your life every day in pursuit of God. Whose heart's in better shape? The man who has the right doctrine, but he's not in pursuit of God every day? Or the man who, his doctrine may be off on some lesser points, but he's in pursuit of God. I'm not sure who's in better shape, but I think it's the second guy. But I want both. I want to know and believe the exact right truth. And I want to live in pursuit of God every single day of my life. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. The fact is, when it says prepare your heart, it's telling me, don't miss this, that it requires a specific kind of heart to seek the Lord. You're not going to ignore God all day. And then just sit down, open your Bible, and all of a sudden get caught up into the heavenlies. You're going to have to carry a different heart with you throughout the day if you want to seek the Lord. You're not going to live six days of cursing and listening to and telling filthy jokes and watching all kinds of trash on television and watching all kinds of filthy movies and listening to all kinds of, of trash and, and uh, all kinds of filthy music and, and uh, reading a bunch of nonsense on the Internet and watching a bunch of... You're not going to live in that place and then come into God's house and, oh, I just, I, I'm coming to God's presence. No, it takes a different heart to seek the Lord than it does to live in the trash of the world all week. You've got to prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Next week is our annual camp meeting. We've been doing, we've had a weekly meeting every year since 2002. We used to call it by a different name. The preachers that came and preached for us every year, they sort of disbanded as a group. So in 2008, we began to call it camp meeting, and we had a, a different approach. And the approach went from being more of instruction and motivation to being one of encouragement, comfort, challenge, 
and seeking the Lord. You study, I would urge you this week to go online and study the history of camp meetings in America. I won't take the time to give you the history now, and I know you're saying, thank you, Pastor, amen. Anytime I get on history, it it lengthens the message by half an hour. But I would urge you to research camp meeting online. And it's amazing what you will find. Families in the 1800s and early 1900s, that was their week of vacation, sometimes more than a week. And in hundreds, I'm telling you, hundreds of spots all over this country, they would set aside a place. And during the day, in the morning, they'd have a prayer meeting. During the day, they'd go fishing, they'd go swimming, they'd go all kinds of activities and, and uh, hiking and, and sightseeing. And at night, they'd meet with God. And it was their week's vacation. People would travel for, for miles and miles to go to camp meeting. And it was a vacation refreshment slash meeting with God. You say, Pastor, that sounds like something you just made up. You need to research it. You need to research the history of camp meeting in America. Anyway, it is in that spirit that we decided in 2008 to to every year meet with the Lord and seek the Lord together. And that's what next week is about. It actually starts Saturday night with the men coming together and seeking the Lord. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night at 6.30, Tuesday night at 6.30, Wednesday night, 6.30. We come together and seek the Lord. Today I'm urging you challenging, you, challenging you, begging you, inviting you to prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Every singer next week, every song, every speaker, every message is an invitation and an urging to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Prepare your heart this morning. I urge you and invite you to prepare your heart to seek the Lord. The Bible makes several references to this idea of preparing our hearts to seek the Lord. And I'm going to share them with you in the order that they're found. And it will go quickly. The first one is in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods that are from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel said that to prepare your heart to seek the Lord, you have to put away the things that come between you and God. So there's the first thing. If you want in on this thing, if you say, man, I want God to do something in my life. Oh, listen. You remember the times that God has visited you in great power? We could have a testimony time right here and person after person could testify. Oh, I want to tell you about some times when God came down, when God visited me, when God did something so great and so powerful and so real in my life. And if you've ever had that, you want it again. And this is an opportunity for God to meet with you in power again. But if you want to see it happen, Samuel says you got to put some things away. The great 
times of God's movement in my own life, whether it was when I was in college and I was a bus captain in Chicago trying to get as many people as I could to come to church on a big day, or whether it's been movements of God that I've seen personally in my life and my family or in our church over the years, every time I've seen a movement of God, it was preceded by a time of putting something away. In other words, giving something up in preparation for God to work. Sometimes God asked me to give up sleep so that I could pray and seek the Lord. Sometimes God has asked me to give up eating for a while so that I could pray and seek the Lord. By the way, there's something about fasting in that hole that you feel inside when you're fasting and that hole just reminds you of the void that's in your soul that you need God to fill there's a very powerful spiritual element in fasting and I would ask you if God calls upon you to put away the food a little bit this week so that you can seek his face and prepare your heart to seek the Lord I hope you do that maybe there's some pastime that God would have you give up Have you ever gone a week? What is it that you really enjoy? I mean on a daily basis. Have you ever tried to go on a week week without that thing? What if you went a whole week without turning on the television in preparation to seek the Lord? What if you went a whole week without Facebook? I think I'll die. What is it that God would have you put away? I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you what it is, but I will tell you this. You will never know a movement of God so powerful as when you have put something away in preparation to seek the Lord. So Samuel said, You want to prepare your heart to seek the Lord, you're going to have to put something away. When you put away something that's important to you, it serves to get your attention. To get your attention. Listen next to 1 Chronicles 29, 18. David's speaking here. I want you to understand that when he speaks these words, the people of the nation have just given very sacrificially and there's a, there's a pile of valuable things there. I mean, a massive pile that they've given in order to build the temple. So they've given sacrificially this great offering. And David prays this in the presence of their offerings. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imaginations of the thoughts of the heart. Isn't that something? If I, I mean, if I would almost think he's being redundant. The imagination of the thoughts of their hearts. Keep this. What's he saying? Keep what? Keep this day and all that they've given. Not the stuff, but the giving hearts. Keep this feeling of giving to God. Keep it forever in the imagination of the thoughts of their heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. 
Samuel said you want to prepare your heart to seek the Lord, put something away. God asks you to put something away or you pick something to put away in preparation to seek the Lord. David says you want to prepare your heart to seek the Lord, give. Now, you've already done that for some, de- some degree. For the last year, every year for the last, what, eight, nine years now, every Sunday night just about of the year at the end of the service, we take up a camp meeting offering. Sometimes that camp meeting offering is $25 total that comes in. Sometimes it's 100 200 Sometimes it's into the thousands. Usually the total at the end of the year is five, $6,000. What does that do? It pays airfare. It pays motel rooms. It gives love offering to the preachers. It pays for the preachers' food while they're here. And then it allows us to give some gifts to the preachers. And I've asked my wife to put, I want everybody to turn around and look back next to the, uh, above the window next to the cross back there, and you'll see some suits. And those suits that were, that they, they were suits that were purchased this week, the suit and tie at the suit store that we shop at in the Bronx, and they are uh, the, the sizes of the preachers. And my wife picks them out. We do this every year for camp meeting. And when they walk into the motel room or they don't stay in a room, we'll have a gift, a gift uh, basket for them that will include that suit and tie specially picked out for them. And, and you did that. Your giving did that. And that tells the preacher, we prepared. You didn't just show up and we went, oh, yeah, I forgot you were coming. No, we, and by the way, if we've prepared like that, there's some physical evidence that we've also been praying. I have uh, up here, last year, Pastor Daryl Cox gave me, a, actually he told me about it, and he told me three times, and I couldn't remember the title, so he finally sent me a copy. And it's a book called Heartbeats of the Holy. It's written specifically for pastors and pastors' wives. It's one of the greatest ministry books I've ever read. It's written by a pastor who lived in the 1900s. I mean, he lived, he died in, I think, 1998. I cannot find anything out about this man except he was a pastor. But this book is so powerful. Brother Cox gave it to me. I read it, and I read, I've read it about three times now. And so I went and got a bunch of copies, and every one of our guests next week will get a copy of this book. And you made that happen. Your giving made that happen. I also, everybody that comes to preach for us, just one of the gifts we give them is I give them a, an inexpensive pocket knife. And so I picked this one this year. It was about $10. It's not super expensive, but every one of our preachers will get a knife like that. And uh, that'll be in their room. We've got things back there. Some of you bought, uh, brought various things that we asked you to sign up for. Why do we do that? To let them know that we love them and we've prepared for them, but also to give every one of us an opportunity to give to the Lord. See, because giving doesn't just help the cause. It helps your own heart. It helps you to prepare your heart to seek the Lord. We all like the things that we've invested in. It's interesting, Jesus said, he didn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. He said where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart goes where your investments go. If you want to have a greater heart for the Lord, invest in the Lord and his work. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Samuel said, put something away from you for a little while. Or maybe maybe permanently. 
David said, give something. I ask you, what will you give to the Lord this week? Maybe you want to give to the camp meeting tonight, but maybe you, maybe you need to give an invitation to somebody that you know to be here Saturday night, to be here next Sunday. Maybe you yourself want to give. Maybe you say, I generally only come Sunday morning. Maybe you want to this week give the Lord Sunday night. I'm talking about next Sunday night. You can come tonight, but I'm talking about next Sunday night. Maybe you can give the Lord Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. You say, Pastor, you think God will do something in my heart if I come? I can tell you this, he won't if you don't. How about you give to the Lord? You say, yeah, but no, you don't know what time I get up in the morning. And that makes, when you give him an evening service, that makes it that much more valuable and that much more precious. What will you give to the Lord? Solomon said, put, uh, Samuel said, put something away. David said, give to the Lord. Then there's this in Ezra 7 verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Let me ask you to turn over to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law, the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach Israel the statutes and judgments. You cannot seek the Lord apart from the Lord's truth. Listen carefully. In the Bible, every time God's people chose to get reacquainted with God's word, a great movement of God began. You want to prepare your heart to seek the Lord? You want to see God do something special in your life? Invest in God's word. And here's why I had you turn to Psalm 150. I want you to read it with me. The whole psalm, it's short. Ready? Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the string instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. What would happen next Sunday if we, if this group of people, what would happen if 100 people came in here next week and we could quote that verse without looking at the Bible? What would happen this week if instead of binging on Netflix, we binged on the Bible? I mean, if you just memorize the word praise, you've got half the chapter done. <laughs> what if you set out, hey, so I could never memorize six verses in one week. What if you set out to learn one? And by the end of the day tomorrow, you figure out, well, I got that one done Tuesday. Go for verse two. And you'll figure out that one a day will get you there and you can come here next week. And next Sunday when we begin and we meet the Lord for worship next Sunday and I say turn to Psalm 150, instead of reading it, you can quote it because it's in your heart. You'd be amazed what happens when you put the word of God in your heart, when you binge on God's word. Maybe God touches somebody's heart in this room today and this is possible, it's not crazy, to read the whole Bible through this week. Do you know at the rate that it's read from the pulpit, you can read the Bible in 72 hours, which means you double that, you can get it done in 36 hours. You say, man, that's a lot of reading. 
Maybe God puts it on your heart to read some significant portion of the Bible this week. But I say again, instead of binging on the things we do binge on, how about for one week of your life you binge on the Word of God? Samuel said, prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Put stuff away to seek the Lord. David said, prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Give to the Lord. And Ezra prepared his heart to seek the Lord by immersing himself, binging himself on the word of God. Last one, Psalm 10, verse 17. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou will prepare their heart. Thou will cause thine ear to hear. Fourth thing, humble prayer. Humble prayer. Let me ask you, does it ever cost you some pride to pray? That's humble prayer. (laughs) Why is it that we think we're going to humble ourselves before the Lord in private where only God can see us? Now look, I'm for private prayer. Jesus preached that in Matthew. But public prayer when there's no Christians watching just lost people. That's going to humble you. Lady told my wife the other day, she said, uh, she said, I was out walking, and as I was walking, I was praying, and she said, I, I asked the Lord for something specific, something very specific. Show me this thing. Something that if I told you, well, it was personal, so I'm not going to, but if I told you, it's so specific that you'd say, well, that's never going to happen. And God did it in her walk. And she said, my first impulse was to just fall to my knees right there in the street and thank God. Because I was so, you know, when God does something like that for you, it's like, oh, man, he hears me. I know that he hears me, but he hears me. You, you know that feeling. She said, I, 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 my first impulse was to fall to my knees and praise God, but my pride got the best of me. And I said, well, I can, I can pray I can thank him in my heart. And I kept walking. She said, for the rest of the day, I felt guilty for being ashamed of the Lord. So the next day, she was taking that same walk. And she asked the Lord for the same thing again. Now, if I was God, I wouldn't have given it to her the second day if she was ashamed of me the first day. But God did it again. Very random thing. And and it's, it's... Something in nature that is not, it, it's, it's going to be, a, it's like a shooting star kind of thing. It, it's, it was, God did it again. And she said this time, she fell to her knees right in the street. And said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for loving me. Does it ever cost you some pride to pray? Do you ever just drop to your knees when there's nothing on the schedule that says drop to your knees so that your wife, your husband, or your kids could turn the corner and come into the room and say, wow, you're on your knees praying. You ever pray, pray with somebody in the spur of the moment? You ever go to someone before church begins, you're sitting in your seat waiting for church to begin, the piano's playing, and somebody else across the aisle is doing the same thing. So let me just go over there and say, I don't know about you. I need God. Could we just pray for a second? Lord, meet with us today. Lord, I've got, I've got burdens. He's got burdens or she's got burdens. God, would you meet with us today? 
So I, I'd be afraid that they might push me away, reject me. Now, no, that's, that's a risk of your, on your pride. That's humble prayer. Do you ever call somebody just out of the blue, call them on the phone? Say, hey, you got 30 seconds. Would you pray with me? God, we need you. We need you. Bless us. Help us, please. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You ever pray for somebody and then text them to let them know that you prayed for them? Does it ever cost you anything to pray? Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Samuel said, put away something. David said, give to the Lord. Ezra said, I'm going to immerse myself in the word of God. And this verse in Psalms says, to humbly pray. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. We're done. I want to make one contrast. When God tells about the kings of Judah, Jehoshaphat at the beginning of the message was the king of Judah. There was a king of Judah named Rehoboam. When God tells us in the Bible about the kings of Judah, very often he gives us a, a one-sentence summary of their life, sort of an epitaph. A guy can reign for 50 years and God sums up their life in one sentence. King Rehoboam did some good things. He won some wars. He built some buildings. He accumulated some wealth. He raised some kids. He raised some decent kids. But God's epitaph for Rehoboam was this. He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Rehoboam lived 58 years. He reigned as king for 17 of those years. And with all that he got done, he never found time to prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And God said, he's evil. So we have two kings, one at the beginning of the message, one at the end. The first guy made a major blunder. When the preacher came to confront him about it, he said, but you're good with God because you prepare your heart to seek the Lord. The other guy, his record's pretty good. But God's estimation was, was, but he's evil. Because all that he did, all that he was busy doing in his life, he didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. I invite you this morning. As we look to the horizon and this week of camp meeting, it's not, not special meetings, not just not a conference, not going to hear preaching, but a time where we meet together, whether it's two of us or 200 of us, doesn't matter. We come together and we seek the Lord together for a few days. And I invite you, really I beg you, to take the advice of these Bible preachers and writers and prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Put away something this week. Give something to the Lord. Something that is sacrificial. Something that costs you something. Something that hurts a little bit. Give to the Lord. Binge on the Bible. And pray some humble praying. Let's stand together this morning. I'm going to ask you to play as soon as you get to the piano.
Do you know this song? It just came to mind, and I want you, I want you to sing it with me if you know it. I don't even know all the words, so I'm going to stumble through it, but it came to my mind. It's, it's a song of, of us inviting God to work. It goes like this. Sing it if you know it. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Now, here's a part I don't know. What are the four words there? You know, sing it, Brother Steve. Could you sing it loud for us? Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Praise the Lord. Excellent. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. One more time. Sing it together. 